Like the prophet Jeremiah, he sat down and said, I'm just not going to do no preaching no more. But he said that it was like fire shut up in his bones. He couldn't do it. He just had to keep going on. Amen. Though the trials in our lives want to shut us down, want to tell us to put a closed sign on our business. And sit down and lay in the bed, never to rise no more. The Lord that we serve says that we can keep on going on. Ain't that good news, saints? Amen. Are y'all ready for the word? Amen. Let us go to the gospel according to Matthew chapter 7. The gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 7. The Gospel according to Matthew. Chapter 7. Starting at verse 1, you will find these words judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. 
This afternoon, I want to speak with you for a few moments from the thought, Jesus on judging. Jesus on, Jesus on judging. It has been a very interesting and enlightening journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that Matthew is writing to his readers to portray Jesus as king. Jesus as king. And in this passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, it is the manifesto of the king. It is his requirements, his desires. It is the outline of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount consists of chapters 5, 6, and 7. So now we're coming into the final stretch of the Sermon on the Mount. And here we stand, here we stand in light of a very familiar passage. A passage that's quoted not only by Christians, but by non-Christians as well. So many times you hear, judge not and be not judged. But today, as in other times, I want to contend with the family of God in this. That in order to understand the content of a passage, you must get it in the context in which it is placed. I contend today that those who quote just the beginning of verse 1 or the completion of verse 1 and not the rest of this passage, amen, only give you part of the story. Wow. Remember the king, Jesus, who is speaking to those who are listening, including the Pharisees and Sadducees, that the Sermon on the Mount hinges on a particular verse. The whole Sermon on the Mount hinges on verse 20 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 20 reads, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So all the instruction before and after hinges on this principle. So the people of this day would be confounded by this fact because they saw the Pharisees and the scribes as the epitome of religiosity. If they were going to find somebody who represented what religion should be, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. Those leaders who who had been diligent in study of the law, whom had learned the 613 laws by memory and were now in the place of those who were to interpret the scriptures. 
But the reality here is that the one who gave the scriptures originally is now on the scene. And he's come to set things in order. There have been some things going on amongst his people. There have been some injustices that need to be straightened out. And so when Jesus begins to speak about judging, in the context of this, we realize that Jesus has spoken about a lot of other things, including giving, including prayer, including fasting, including where to give and where to appropriate your treasure, whom to serve, how to think, and how to act. So he's been dealing with an issue that is also brought out in this text, and he's dealing with this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the issue of hypocrisy. Acting one way, but you're really something else on the inside. Portraying yourself to be one thing, but you're really something else. And that was the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. They put themselves up to be the religious apex, the top of the religious food chain, but really they were whitewashed sepulchers full of excess and distortion. Jesus called them out and he said, you hypocrites. You act like you're righteous. You act like you're right in the sight of God, but you're really a bunch of smelly undesirables in the sight of the Lord because you are trying to find your own righteousness in yourself instead of finding your righteousness in God. So now we come to our text today to shine some light on what's really going on. Judge not that you be not judged. This text has been a text of controversy, a text of debate because when looking at this text, we wrongly understand what judging means. This word judge in the Greek is the word krino, and this word has the idea of choosing and setting apart and determining a destination. So it has some variation in how it can be appropriated, but it depends on the context in which it is placed. That's why it's so important to not read scripture like a jackrabbit. We're going from verse to another verse here to another verse there. You must get those verses in their context in order to start understand the content of a passage. So when we look at this passage, we now start to understand that the people that he's talking to about judging are the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying there's a judging here that you shouldn't do because the same way that you judge, it will be judged back to you. So this word krino, this word krino in this text could almost be the word criticize. Criticize not that you be not criticized. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the scribes, they were not judging according to righteous judgment, but they were judging.
judging according to unrighteous, self-righteous judgment toward others. They had set up a moral law that put them high on the pedestal and put everybody else down. They were criticizing folk, not because of their heart in God, but how they looked or how they walked or how they talked or what family they came from. They were being self-righteous in their judgment. But they were casting a judgment on the people setting their destination when they didn't have a heaven or a hell to put them in. So they were criticizing according to their own standard and not the standard of God. So God is saying to them in this text, starting in verse 1, you need to watch yourself. Now, if you're going to try to put yourself up and be better than somebody else and judge them accordingly, are you ready to be judged by that same standard? Are you ready to be judged because are you so right that now you have the position of God and you can determine whether one is going to hell or whether one is going to heaven? That's what was going on in this text. They were judging. Because remember, when the judge sits in his seat, he has the power to sentence or he has the power to free. Amen. And they were sitting in the spot that was only for God and God alone. They were making self-righteous judgments for where folks were going. Whether they were going to hell or going to heaven. They were trying to judge folks' motives. The Bible lets us know nobody knows the heart of man except God and that man. Amen. But they were putting themselves in the place of God. Judge not that ye be not judged. Because if the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes were judged by their same self-righteous judgment, their same moral law, they would have failed as well. And we'd be sentenced to everlasting hell. So the text goes on to say, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He was saying to them, look over your life. How perfect are you? How many times have you not met the standard, the righteous standard of God? That's why you made up this trumped up, a set of laws and oral laws to put yourself on the pedestal and put everybody else down. But does that not happen today? Does it not happen that we have decided what's the most important sins and what's the less important sins? We say to ourselves, well, at least I'm not a murderer. But what are you? Are you a hypocrite? From the perspective of, are you a liar but you try to act like you're not? Or are you one who do a bad deals on your job? Are you one who is a backbiter and a gossiper? What is it that you do? Because the reality is that all of our sins are the same at the cross. It doesn't matter on whether or not that you got loose lips 
or you'll kill somebody, one sin is enough to send you to hell. The wages of sin is death. It did not delineate, it did not segregate, it did not discriminate on what sin, but it says the wages of sin is death. We were born in iniquity. In sin, we were fastened. Sin started in the Garden of Eden, and there's nobody alive today who are not feeling the effects of original sin. So when we look at our text, we realize that there is a measure, and that measure is a righteous measure that no one stands up to. And when we begin to look at this text, we can begin to go too far to the left are too far to the right. Mm -hmm. See, verse 1 and verse 2 will cause you to start to say, well, I, you know, I can't, I can't judge anybody, so um, I won't say anything about any sin that anybody's in. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we associate judging with confrontation. Judging and confrontation are two different things. Does not the Bible tell us to bear one another's burdens? It says restore one who has fallen, in fallen into sin. He who has fallen in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. What that is talking about, in order to restore somebody, amen, the problem has to be what? Identified before we can begin to get a solution. So if there is no confrontation of sin, then there is no problem identified. Therefore, we can't work on a what? Solution. Even Matthew himself, in his writings according to the Holy Spirit, in chapter 18, talks about dealing with brothers or sisters who have gone wayward, who have become troublemakers in the church. Amen. It says, go to them yourself, and if they will not reckon with you and will not hear you, then take a brother. And then if they will not hear you both, then bring them before the church. Wow. So judging does not mean do not confront, because we must bear one another's burdens. And part of this bearing is also confronting, because the Bible says those who will not point out another's sin, amen, when they're in sin, hates their brother. The reason why is what we're doing is we're being onlookers and we're watching our brother and sister fall deeper and deeper in the sin. And we haven't even thrown them out of life raft to say, hey, grab onto this so that you don't sink and you don't die within. We have said to ourselves, no, we're not going to get into this. I'm not going to confront him. I'm not going because I don't want to judge. But that's not judging, that's confronting. And we must confront one another. Sometimes we got to tell one another when we are getting wayward, hey, you're out of line. You, this is not right. If, if nobody ever says, they see their brother or sister, they may be shacking up with somebody. And now their world is coming apart. If we just look upon that and then keep walking and never say, brother or sister, you know, here's your problem right here. 
Your problem right here is you're living with somebody who is not your husband or not your wife. You allow them to stay in there as if it's okay. But the reality of doing that is not that you're fulfilling this particular verse of scripture, but now you're really hating your brother or you're hating your sister because you're allowing them to stay in sin. And in a way that you're also coming alongside them and saying, it's okay. Because you see it, but yet you say nothing about it. Amen? So when we look at our text, we also see, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? This is almost comical, amen. Can you imagine seeing someone who has got a speck in their eye? And now we know our eyes are tender, amen? Just a little, a little of something, even a, 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 a piece of dust can get in our eyes and cause all types of irritation. But can you imagine one coming by to say, hold on a minute, let me, let me, let me get, that, get that piece of dust out of your eye. And while they're coming, they've got an eight foot two by four sticking out of their eye. That's a sad situation, ain't it? They got this big problem in their own eye, but yet they're trying to get the speck out of yours. The reality is that it's impossible for them to be able to get the speck out of your eye because the two before is in the way. Amen. But look what the text goes on to say, y'all. Look at this. When Jesus says these words, he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrites. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He grabs the Pharisees and the scribes around the collar. And he says, you self-righteous hypocrites. You have set yourselves up to be the apex of holiness. You have set yourself up in the seat of God and you're going to sit here and try to pick out everybody else's faults. And you're picking them out in such a way that you're looking at yourself not at all. You're not looking at one sin in your life. You're not looking as if you got any problems at all. So you're looking down at your brothers or your sisters and you're like, hmm, let me, let me help you, you poor underling. Let me reach down and get this speck out of your eye. But all the time, there's sin all over you. So he's saying this big eight-foot plank that's in your eye, he says, first, remove the plank from your eye. What he's saying to the hypocrite, he's saying, first, get your sins taken care of first. First get to your secret place and pray to me and ask for forgiveness of your sins before you ever even think about going to help somebody else. Because you got a problem that's so big right now that you're really not able to help anybody else. So get in your secret place. Go to your God and get your sins straightened out and once that is done then you can go and help somebody else. Amen. Because then once they've gotten the plank out of their eye, 
They're in a place of humility. Amen. Now they brought themselves off of these ivory towers and brought themselves down to a place where they realized that I'm just like you. That I'm coming alongside you for what God has given me to help you, not because I'm better than you, but because I love you. See, the problem with the Pharisees and scribes is that they had no love. They had an unrighteous, self-righteous indignation toward folk, but they didn't love them. They were using folks for their own benefit. They were taking advantage of people so that they would look better and everybody else would look worse. Self-righteous indignation. Judge not and be not judged. But this text is allowing us to see that we're not to allow our brothers and sisters to just go on and sin. Amen. Because now there has been a saying that's in our world that said, well, you know, I can't say anything about anybody else's sin because I got sins myself. Yes, that's true. And that's why we need to, each one of us, all of us, need to get to our place to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. But that does not abdicate our responsibility to see after one another. Amen. Sometimes we can get into sin and we can get in there deep enough, amen, that we need somebody to come along that can recognize it and pull us out. Sometimes we need to be pulled from the snare of the fowler. Sometimes we can get in situations in our lives that cause us to be set apart from the church, be off in our own world, and we need somebody to come by and say, sister or brother, come on back home. Sister, brother, the Lord is calling for you to be amongst your brethren. That's what he desires for you. Come on back to the house. To not let us just falter and fail out in the world, out by ourselves where ravenous wolves can eat up our flesh. Amen. We have to be those that bear one another's burdens. Amen. But we're not to be those who sit in the seat of God. Amen. And try to judge whether one person is going to hell or whether they're going to heaven. That's God's business. Amen. Because we don't have a heaven nor a hell to put anybody in. Amen. Amen. So now we see in this text that confrontation is good once you get yourself straight. Amen. Once you go to God in humility, realizing that we have failed our own selves, amen. But now that we understand the human condition, we can go help somebody else in the spirit of meekness, can we? We can go help somebody else in the spirit of humility because we now understand the human condition ourselves. That we all fall sometimes, but God keeps picking us back up. And God is using each and every one of us to be a help for somebody else. Amen. But we must not abdicate our responsibility to be sergeant of the arms for our own people. Amen. We must not let ourselves go down the the rapids of life in sin and go over the, the, the embankment, to go over and cast down onto the rocks. We must try to save one another. Amen. From the consequences of sin. As I come to a close in this text, we see verse 6. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under 
their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Isn't this an interesting verse? It's almost as if this verse doesn't even connect with the other verses that we have been studying. It's almost as if Jesus is going into a whole nother thought when he gets here. But I contend that this is part of a complete thought in this whole idea of judging. Now he gets into the idea of how to judge whether or not to give the holy word of God to one or not to another. Remember when Jesus sent out the 70. He sent them out two by two. And he said to those who did not receive them that they were to wipe the dust from their aprons, from their feet and move on. This text deals with that issue. Verse 6, it says, do not give what is holy to the dogs. Let's go back and get an Old Testament lesson on what Jesus is talking about here about this holy thing that's given to the dogs. In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices, amen. Amen. There were sacrifices, and they were sacrifices of animals. There was a portion of the animal that was burned on the altar for the forgiveness of sin, amen. There was a portion that was given to the priest, that the priest be fed. And there was a portion that the individual would also be able to dine on. The piece that the individual has, the piece that the, piece that the priest has, is not the holy piece. The holy piece is the piece that's been set apart to be burned, what? On the altar. So Jesus is reminding them that the Old Testament commands them not to take that holy piece and to throw it to the dogs. But one other thing we must understand about dogs of this time versus dogs of our time. See, dogs in our time, some of them are the cute little dogs that are dressed up in little suits and, and yipping and yapping and inside the house and you know, even bigger dogs, and they're relatively clean, and we keep them and pet them. Some people have them in their beds, in their, in their, on their couches, and every which way. They're all in dog shows, and they're perfectly groomed, and they're perfectly trained. But these dogs, that's not the dogs that Jesus is talking about. In their day, there were dogs that were wild dogs that were, were uncanny. They were, they were garbage digging dogs. They, they, they ate out of those leftovers and those, those things that were starting to break down, I mean, into the garbage. They were wild and they were mean dogs. I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in the country down in Texas, amen, there was the domesticated dogs, but then there were the wild packs. There were the dogs that when you saw those dogs, that you needed to take cover. 
Because they were wild dogs and they were mean and venomous, they may even have rabies. And that if you were bit by them, you may die. They may tear you to pieces. This is the kind of dog that he's talking about. He's talking about this wild, ravenous dog. And he said, don't you take that which is holy. Don't you take that which has been set apart for God and for the forgiveness of sin and give it to these ravenous dogs. Then he goes on, he says, also in his text, he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, when's the last time we've seen uh, some hogs wearing pearl necklaces? No, no. Swine doesn't see the value of pearls. They, They don't see the value of those. If you throw pearls to the swine, all they may do is try to root on it and maybe try to bite on it, but they're not going to wear it. Amen. Because they see no value in pearls. So who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about hogs that, that, that wallow in the mud. He's talking about these ravenous dogs. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the unregenerate. He's talking about the one who, when you present them with the gospel message, that they revile against you. He's talking about the one that when you try to give them the gospel message, they cuss you out. He's talking about the one that when you try to give them the gospel message, they got everything else to say to tear down everything you got to say, amen, and to try to make you look bad. He's talking about that group. He's talking about that bunch who will not receive the good word of God. The dogs and the hogs. So God is saying, when you're in your ministry, amen, not like these self-righteous, indignant Pharisees and Sadducees, when you're gentle and meek and mild in your ministry, trying to tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ, if they don't want to hear it and they talk about you and they scandalize your name and if they revile against you, if they snare, if they try to swing at you, you just keep on moving. Don't you give the holy things to those who will not receive it. It's the same idea of the 70. He said, wipe the dust off your feet and keep on going. So now Jesus is saying, now this, in this you need to judge. You judge based on these actions when you go out and you're giving the good news of Jesus Christ. If they reject it and revile it, then you judge that by moving on. And so this text comes to a close and letting us know that judging is not what we, or what the world seems to want it to be. What the world is trying to do is pervert it into a way in order for them to be able to get away with everything they want to do. They want to be able to say, well, you got sin too, so don't talk about me and mine. Because I'm doing what I want to do, you ain't perfect yourself, so you can't say nothing to me. But that is not what the Bible is teaching. 
The Bible in its holisticness is not saying allow everybody to just go ahead and do all the sin and just kind of smile at it. No, we ought to bear one another's burdens. Amen. But we ought not be self-righteous in our judging. We ought not criticize folks as if we're so good and they're so bad. Amen. And when we go out and we teach this gospel ministry into the world, if they will not receive it, it's saying cast them out. It's saying wipe the dust from your feet and keep on moving. Because in reality, it's up to God whose heart will be softened. You can fight with somebody. You can talk with them. You can try to convince them. But if their heart is not ready to receive, you're just wasting your time. Amen. You can be moving on to somebody that God has already got them prepared. Amen. So he says, wipe the feet. Dust your feet off and keep on moving. Even Jesus Christ himself, there was a time when even he was not able to minister because of the hardness of some folks' heart. And he did a few miracles, healed a few, and he kept on moving. So if Jesus can be able to discern this and keep on moving, how much more should we be able to having the master himself living in us? So today, saints of God, I ask that you think about this text critically. Amen. That you really think about this text and what it's really saying to us. Not to just allow our brothers and sisters to go on sinning because we got sin. But it's saying first take care of our own sins and then go in humility to help our brothers. Amen. Amen. And there is a work that God has called us to do out in the world. But if the world does not receive it, then wipe your feet and keep on moving. Because the world still needs to hear about our Jesus. The world still needs to hear about the one who came down through 40 and two generations. The world still needs to hear about the one who hung, bled, and died for the sins of the world. The world still needs to hear that he was buried one Friday evening. And he was put in a borrowed tomb. That he was in that grave all night Friday. He was in that grave all day Saturday. He was in that grave all night Saturday night. But it was early Sunday morning that he got up with all power in his hand. The world still needs to hear that Jesus lives. The world needs to hear that there is one who's got the power to forgive them of their sins. There's one who has got the power to give them peace and joy that a peace that surpasses all understanding so we must not be weary in well doing but we must continue to work the works of him that sent us because we only got a little while and that little while is called day and when the day is gone night cometh when no man can work in the in the words of the apostle paul the night is far spent and the day is at hand we must keep on working and we must keep on pushing, we must keep on portraying this good news of Jesus Christ to the world that men, boys and girls women and all of those who will hear the word might be saved that in that great getting up morning when the trumpet sound when the dead in Christ shall rise and they that remain shall be caught up in the air that those who heard the word and received it might be there also that we may say howdy howdy and never goodbye 
that we may sing the songs of how we got over. One of these days it's going to be all over, saints of God. And we don't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man is coming back. But while the blood is still running warm in our veins, let us run the race that has been set before us. Let us judge righteously. Let us act appropriately. Let us minister meekly. And God will be pleased. Amen. Amen. The doors of the church are open. There may be somebody here today who hears these words about Christ and about judging, hear about the swine, the, hear about the dogs, but realize that they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe sitting here and they hear of the Lord, but don't know him in their heart. Right now is the day of salvation for whomever will believe. Paul the apostle said so explicitly, he said, for I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation. To whomever believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's for the whomevers, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that the whosoevers that would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't want to take it for granted that everybody is saved. Even though you may have been around the church a long time, do you really have a relationship with God? Do you, do you really have a relationship where he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you that you are his own? Amen. If that's not there today, I encourage you today to ask the Lord into your heart. To ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to come and live in your heart. To do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Amen. The time is now. Come unto Jesus. Make up your mind. Come It is my prayer that we allow this scripture to 
really get embedded in our hearts to also deal with the misconceptions about judging. Amen. Amen. And the misconceptions about ministry and how God wants us to view that. He doesn't want us to get into debates and argue. Amen. If they're not ready to receive, then we keep on moving. Amen. Amen. All right. If our hearts, minds are clear, let us stand for our benediction. Where he for your word, oh God. Lord, thank you for continuing to instruct us and to teach us about your word. Lord, thank you for continuing to show us what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Lord, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, for it has been so revealing of things that we have not known and those things that we now know. Lord, we thank you, Master, for clearing up some misconceptions, oh God. Lord, we thank you for spending the time to make sure that this word was kept through the annals of time so that men, women, boys, and girls in this generation and generations to come might know the reality of serving a true and living God. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus for all the saints that are assembled here today. Lord, those also who are on vacation and are abroad, oh God. Lord, continue to keep us all in your care because there is no care like the care of Jesus. Lord, continue to put your loving arms around us. Protect us from all hurt, harm, and danger. Lord, and thank you for saints that we have not seen in a while, oh God. Lord, that we're able to put our eyes on, Lord, to give us joy. Lord, continue to keep them on their jobs and keep them in the various areas that keep them away, oh God. Continue to keep your word in their hearts and protect them from all hurt, harm, and danger. Lord, and as we go from this place to our prospective homes, oh God, Lord, continue to put your holy hedge around us and protect us from all hurt, harm, and danger down these dangerous byways and highways. Lord, as we prepare to give, Lord, prepare our hearts, oh God. Lord, keep the, the leaders of the church, Lord, who deal with the finances, oh God. Lord, direct us and make sure that we use it in the way that you would have us to do it. Lord, we love you so much, Master. First of all, because you loved us. And Lord, continue to keep us, lead us, and guide us. Now, henceforth, and forevermore. And the whole church sang, Amen. Please be seated and obey our ushers. Amen. Amen.